Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And it, of course, has been a big, a big week something. in technology. There's this thing at the beginning of the show where we tell the people who we are. Oh, yeah, I'm Dr. Richard Church. <laughs> and I'm Jim Russ. Okay, thank you, thank you, Jim. I'm here it's, to help. It has been a long, long time since I've been back in the seat. Uh, you on were a regular, here last week. What I was here last about? week, but I've been gone for three weeks. You've been gone in your mind. You've been That's gone. That's right. Yes. Go- okay. Google Chrome has a zero-day vulnerability, which uh, you need to patch. We'll talk about how you can patch that. Uh Chinese hardware has been sold to the U.S. military. Some guys were getting, uh, you know, getting um, arrested for for that caper because, of course, they're worried that these this hardware will have back doors so the Chinese can spy on our military. And uh, Apple is requesting tariff waivers. You know, they don't they don't want the, you know, they don't want their iPhones to get go up in price because so much of the iPhones are manufactured in China. And uh, and Google, of course, uh, you know, I didn't get to it last week. Google wants to buy Fitbit for $2.1 billion. They already did it. And, of course, oh, and this week we're going to feature, actually, we're going to feature Sally Floyd, Sally Jean Floyd. She is a best, she's a computer scientist best known for her work on Internet congestion control. This profile in IT was suggested by Susan in Alexandria last week. It was indeed. It was. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. But he remembered where to show up from uh, He certainly did. You know. We got an email from Tung in Ohio. Dear Doc and Jim, I'd like to hide some photos on my iPhone. Of course you would. Uh-oh. That's what they do in Ohio. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It's, it, every time we get emails from Ohio, there's some kind of problem. There's some problem. Here. Okay, Tong, I don't know why you want to hide these photos. I know why she wants to hide the... the, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Frequently, others use my phone, and I don't want them to see these pictures. And I want them to show up by accident. What are my options? Love the podcast, Tung in Ohio. Well, Tong, we won't get into why you have all these photos, but there are some ways to hide them. So you can hide photos on an iPhone. And what you do to hide a photo on an iPhone, you select the photo... And then you click on the share icon. That's that little square with an arrow coming out the top. And then you scroll, and then um, uh, another screen comes. You scroll down until you see something called hide. And then you click on hide photo or hide video. And it transfers the photo or the video to a hidden subdirectory. And people won't see it. So can you find the hidden subdirectory? Now, this is the thing. It's it's actually not password protected. If you go to albums and you scroll down through albums, you will see the hidden subdirectory that's been created. Oh. And it just transfers it to the hidden subdirectory. But it's not password protected. It's only hidden from the casual user. Right. So, like, if you had a picture of something you didn't want somebody to see uh-huh. and you went to photos and all of a sudden, whoa, it's right there, it's not there. It's, it's in not, the hidden directory. It's in the hidden directory. Right. But then if somebody's if somebody knows about that, they can just go to the hidden directory well, and find it. Well, you told everybody just now. I so. know, but but that but this also keeps it. Now you've got to be a little bit mindful because if you've got automatic upload to the cloud before you hide it, it may have already been uploaded to the cloud. And if yes. you've got Apple TV, it might just be displaying right there on your Apple so you TV. So you can't hide it after the fact. 
No, well, so you'd, you'd have to delete it from the cloud if you really wanted to hide it. Uh-huh. Now, if you want... Now, see, but that doesn't seem like a very good hiding method because no, it's, it it's not password protected. I mean, it's hidden from somebody that doesn't know how to look up a hidden uh, photo. If you want to have it password protected, you can download an app, which, which is called Secret Photo Vault. Keep safe. That's not too conspicuous. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, Secret Photo Vault, keep safe. And it's password protected. It even has private cloud backup. Now, I think if you get the private cloud backup, you, you have to do an in-app purchase. But that actually works out pretty well. Now, if you've got an Android phone, you actually have better options on the Android phone. You've got either the private mode. It depends on which which flavor of Android you've got. You've either mm. got the private mode or the content lock mode. And you can activate the private mode or content lock mode, and you can set a password, and then you can hide selected photos or documents in the private mode or in the contact lock. Now, these files are password protected. Now, the Android also has a has secret photo apps, too. But I don't think you need it with the Android. So... I hope I don't know if people I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how secure you want these photos to be, but it could be if you just want to so your kids don't run across the photos. Uh, you, 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 you can put them in the hidden subdirectory. But if you're trying to hide it from somebody that knows anything technical, it's really not going to work. I think one of the days one of these days you're going to be called in front of a federal grand jury in Ohio. Yes, because of some of the advice you've given. There's, there, there'll probably be some subpoena there, and they they want to get mm-hmm. into the secret photo vault, and, exactly. and they're going to say it's all TikTok's fault. Exactly. We got an email I don't from. Know who you are? We got an email from Lewis in Kansas. Dear TikTok, I recently upgraded an iPhone 7 Plus. I like the iPhone, but I cannot use my favorite headphones because there's no place to plug them in. You are, you, wait, are you? Are you? Wait. Yeah, <laughs> I have this. You, I have. I brought it in to show you. you. you uh, yeah, you you have got I, it. I have it here. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring this around bring so you can it. take a look at it because so, this was this was uh, special super duper. Yeah. This how much did this one, this one cost you? Like forty five bucks. Forty five bucks. Don't yeah. So there is actually uh, a a device that you can plug into the uh, to the charging port of your iPhone, and it's got an iPhone jack in it. And you can you can then plug your you can plug your iPhone in it, but but then of course at that at that if you get that simple one, you can't charge your phone. No. And so there's a more more advanced one See, that has in addition it has the iPhone jack as well as another charging port, so you can charge your phone while you're listening to it. This is why I'm wondering why is this having a, not having a headphone jack an advancement? Uh, it, it's waterproofing. It was purely done for waterproofing. It was done for Dr. Richard Schertz, who always drops his in the Rappahannock yeah, River. Yeah, exactly. And so it turned out that 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 iPhone jack, uh, that that headphone jack, was really a big source of water. And they were trying to um, actually get rid of all of the holes into the iPhone so they could waterproof it. But there's still holes. There's still a hole. There's well, the lightning jack, and then there's the speaker holes. But the lightning jack is apparently easier to um, to, to to protect against leaks. How about and the speaker the, holes? The speakers are the speakers are waterproof. The speakers have a little diaphragm in there. The waterproof. I knew you would know the now, answer. Now the so. speakers don't work very well underwater. But uh, <laughs> now here's you the know thing. This firsthand. Now 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 here's the thing, Jim. You paid forty five dollars for yours. Oh. I I found some for like nine dollars on Amazon that looked they They're got really good they, junk. No, they got good reviews and they were and they were Apple certified. Okay. Now. <clears throat> Thanks now, for telling me after the fact, by yeah, the way. Yeah, you just go to Amazon and you look up 
Apple Lightning to 3.5 millimeter headphone jack a little late adapter. Now. And it's eight seventy nine on Amazon, and it's uh, and it's uh, and it's um, uh, approved. Now, if you you can pay a few bucks more to get the the charging port. Now, you can pay forty five dollars if you want. No, I'd rather not. Uh, you know, uh, no, but I it, did. It's it, a little late for this information. I by know the way. It, it's it's a little late for it, but that is that is very nice to see. I'm I'm glad to see that because I'm getting ready. By the way, I am getting ready Thanks. to get an iPhone eleven. And my speaker jack is going to go away. See, the, another reason Apple's trying to go to wireless charging, they want they want to get rid of that charging port on the bottom. They, oh yeah. See, okay, they great. they want to get rid of all ports. So and they, that'll be the day that so I go to an Android so your, phone. So your forty five dollar adapter when you upgrade to you know to some future phone is going to be worthless, and you are going to be forced to go to Bluetooth. Okay, let me tell you. Well, I already use Bluetooth. Well, but, then you're okay. Yeah, but. Do you think – actually, this is a Belkin. This isn't it's, an Apple It's product. not even an Apple. I was looking at that. It's Belkin. Yeah. They make good stuff. Belkin makes good stuff, but I don't think it's worth $45. I don't think it's worth $45. <laughs> and this will – I'm telling you, this will wear out long before the phone does. Mm-hmm. So, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for showing my ineptitude so, to everyone once so again. So Lewis in Kansas, uh, you know, we got Lewis's in every state. Lewis in Kansas. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, so listen, do, you do. don't need to pay $45 unless you truly want to. We got an email from Martha in Alexandria. Dear Doc and Jim, I have a large collection of movies on DVD. Uh-oh. I got a DVD player in every room. Uh-oh. I'm a DVD maniac. <laughs> I also love watching them on my computer after taking a short break from work. I'm self-employed and work from the office, from work from a home office. He said, I think I'll take a break and watch a movie now. I mean, that that doesn't seem like a very good work day. The problem is I used to be able to watch DVDs uh, on the Windows Media Player with my old computer, but I got a new computer, and it won't play DVDs anymore. I can't watch DVDs on my Windows 10 machine. Surely there's some way to do it. Can you help? (laughs) Very frustrating. Well, Here's the thing. So we're going to help her goof off during the workday. Uh-huh. Martha, Martha, you have discovered that Microsoft removed the ability to play DVDs from the Windows Media Player in Windows 10. Now they charge you for the Windows DVD Player app that they sell on the Microsoft Store. It was actually a money grab. They removed the feature from the Media Player, and now you have to buy it. Um, of course. And so that's and so what what Microsoft is doing gradually they are pulling features out of Windows because they 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 don't make money on these big upgrades that they use because it's constantly upgraded and you you don't pay for the upgrades so to get a revenue stream they're pulling features out of Windows making them apps that you have to buy and so gradually there're going to be more and more things that you have to purchase now here's the good news Martha there's actually a media player that's better than the Windows DVD player. It's called VLC Media Player. VLC Media Player. It plays more, uh, more formats than than the than the, than the Microsoft product, and, it, and it's actually an excellent device. And you can download it for free, and you go to oldergeeks.com, oldergeeks.com/downloads, and you can look up the VLC. Player, or you can just Google it, VLC Media Player. Now, I like this OlderGeeks.com, by the way. It's a couple, and they noticed it's a couple that's you know out out in the Midwest somewhere. I I, I forget where they are. There's a small town out in the Midwest, and what they discovered was a lot of these download websites where you download software. 
they're actually corrupted versions of the software where they've actually put in malware or they've got ads, what they call that, you know, they, they've got crapware, and they've got all sorts of corruption in them. So you're never sure if you're getting um, a pristine copy of the file that you're downloading. So they created their own website, oldergeeks.com, and they and they have uh, <clears throat> hundreds of uh, of software uh, packages there, as well as device drivers, and they've checked every one to make certain they're not infected with anything that is that shouldn't be there. And um, you know, if you, if you want to leave a couple of bucks on PayPal, that's how they that's how they support the site. But I like this oldergeeks.com, so you can download it from the V. You can download your VLC media player. And give a couple of bucks to the oldergeeks.com if you if you like their website. I do like their website. We got an email from Roger in Arlington, Virginia. Dear Tech Talk, I think I might have crashed my laptop. I ordered new RAM for my Dell Inspiron 14-inch um, laptop. When it arrived, I was so excited that I immediately tried to install it without shutting down the system. Whoops. I removed the battery but forgot to shut the system down and unplug the charger. As soon as I plugged in my first RAM stick, I saw a spark. <laughs> now, <laughs> that will be a bad sign. Now the computer won't turn on. No lights, no sound. The screen stays black. I press the power button. I tried reinstalling the original RAM, even tried to hard reset. Nothing works. I know the battery and charger are working because I tried them with my wife's laptop. Is there something else I can try, or is my laptop toast? Roger in Arlington. Well, Roger, I hate to be bearer of bad news, but your laptop's motherboard is probably fried. You ac your accidental attempt to install RAM into a hot laptop most likely resulted in a short circuit or current surge, and computer circuits just don't take that very well. If your computer was is not was responding at all. I'd suggest trying putting in new RAM modules because maybe they were damaged. But since it appears that to be completely unresponsive, I think you'd just be wasting your time and money. I think it's time to go shopping for a new laptop. The good news is they've never been cheaper. And you get good value for your money, and you'll probably get a much better laptop, a faster laptop than you had before. So just suck up and get a new one. We got an email from Angie in Springfield, Missouri. Dear Doc and Jim, I get too many phone calls from unknown numbers. Sometimes they wake me up in the middle of the night. How can I block anyone who's not on my contact list? Angie in Springfield, Missouri. Well, Angie, I mean, these these uh, spam phone calls, you know, they, they spoof phone numbers all over the place. And so they're, they're, it's very hard to actually block specific numbers because you never, never know what number they're going to call from. But it is possible to block Calls from anyone who's not on your contacts list. That's very easy to do. To block unknown callers on the iPhone, if you're running iOS 13, that's the latest one I'm sure you are, tap on settings, then tap on phone, then you scroll down to silence unknown callers and set that on, and boom, you won't hear any phone calls from people that are not on your contact list. Now, it's a little more complicated when you're trying to block unknown callers with Android phones. Some phones don't have that capability at all. And some do, and they're they're all different because Android has many, many, many different flavors. Now, if your particular Android does not happen to have this feature, you can still block calls using an application, a free application called Umail. Y O U M A I L. I I use Umail. I love it uh, on my iPhone. It actually replaces your phone's built-in voicemail service and has several nice features to boot. 
Like, for instance, I, my voice, if somebody calls me, like suppose that Peter calls me, it looks up his name and it says, hello, Peter. Rick is not available. Would you like to? And so it uses the name of the person calling you in the, in the, in, in the greeting. It's, it's a very nice, uh, nice feature. It also transcribes all of my voicemails and I get a text message in it. And it's very easy to block incoming calls. So if you've got an Android and you, and it's, you can't figure out how to block it, just download Umail. It's free. I've been using the free version and, and eventually it only transcribes, say, 30 voicemails. And then if you want to have unlimited voicemails transcribed, you have to pay a small monthly fee. I don't do that, but I, I love Umail. And you can download that for either an Android or an iPhone. We got an email from Helen in Rockville. Dear Tech Talk, <clears throat> I've heard that malware can attack your home router and redirect you to malicious websites. How can I find out whether my router's been hacked? I don't know how to get to my router. I'm worried. Helen in Rockville. Well, vulnerabilities in some router firmware do allow hackers to change some of the router's critical settings. For example, they could alter the domain name server settings, and that would enable them to instruct your router to send your Internet requests to a malware-infected server and to fake websites. If that happens, it could result in malware being downloaded to your computer or mobile device or having your identity or online accounts compromised. Bad news. The good news is there's a company that will check your router, F-Secure, has created a handy tool for checking your router to make certain it hasn't been hacked. The test was really easy. All you have to do is you go to, I mean, you go to the fsecure.com, and then you go to the um, free tools router checker, and you could just, you could Google f-secure uh, router checker, and it'll take you right to that page. And you go to that page, and there's a little button that says check the router, and you click on check the router, takes about 10 seconds, and it tells you whether your router's been hacked. It's really convenient. I, I did that, uh, I did that uh, this morning just before I was, as I was writing this, uh, this response up, and, uh, and my router was clean. No problems at all. Now, if, if, if it does detect issues that your router has been hacked, you'll need to check with the Internet service provider to, to determine what the real settings should be. You want to reset the domain name settings to back, to back what they're supposed to be. Your router's manual should tell you how to change the settings back to their correct value. And don't forget to change the router's password if it has been hacked. Good luck uh, with your router. Hope you haven't been hacked. We got an email from Alex in Fairfax. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard you talk about Python as a great first programming language. Is there an online course that I could take to get me started? I think I'd like to program, but I'd like to give it a try first. Love the show, Alex in Fairfax. Well... Alex, you are right. Python is a general-purpose, versatile, popular programming language. It's a great first language because it's concise, easy to read. It's also a good language to have in your in your stack of uh, tricks because it can be used for almost anything from web development to software development to scientific applications. Now, I would suggest for your first course from the Code Academy, get the Code Academy course on Python. It takes only 25 hours to complete. It's free. It includes three projects. It would be a great beginning. The link to the course is codeacademy.com slash learn slash learn dash python dash three. Or you could just Google Code Academy course on Python three, and it'll take you right to that. Now, this course is a great introduction to both fundamental programming concepts and Python and the Python programming language. By the end, you'll be comfortable programming in Python. 
and taking your skills off the Code Academy platform onto your own computer. Best of luck, Alex, in your quest to learn Python. Listen, we love your emails. Emails to techtalk at stratford.edu. And we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can watch us do the programming by da- the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. And to the smart person on Periscope who remarked, it looks like our first day on Periscope. It's not. We're having problems with the microphones. I'm trying to straighten it out. Sorry for the dis- uh, technical difficulties. We'll be back in just a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Sally Jean Floyd. Sally Jean Floyd is an American computer scientist best known for her work on Internet congestion control. This profile was suggested by Susan in Alexandria. Sally Floyd was born May 20, 1950, in Charlottesville, Virginia. Her father, Edwin, was a mathematician at the University of Virginia. He was a math, he was a math professor. Now, she always had kind of an interest in math, but when she went off to college, she first of all went to the University of Michigan, and after a year there, she transferred to University of California in Berkeley. That was in 1969. Uh, she was only at Michigan for about a year. Then at Berkeley in 1971, she got her Bachelor of Science degree in sociology with a minor in math. You see, back in those days, there were certain subjects that women should be taking. And, you know, and teaching was one, sociology was one, psychology was one. But, you know, women really were not in math or hard science. But she loved math. So she managed to sneak in a minor in math, but her main major was sociology, which at that time was quite acceptable. After she got out of of Berkeley with her Bachelor of Science in Sociology, 
she was having trouble finding a job as a sociologist. Mm-hmm. So she, uh, so she had no way to support herself after college. So she took a two-year course in electronics from Merritt College. That was a community college in Oakland, California. She's probably the only woman in that electronics uh, certificate program, two-year course. And after she completed that electronics course, she was hired by BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, as a computer systems engineer. And she designed, maintained, and repairs the BART's BART's real-time computer systems, including the BART um, uh, project to replace the entire train control system. That was a joint project with the uh, Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. It was a BART. Lawrence Berkeley National Lab project to upgrade the BART's train control system. So while she was working on this uh, upgrade project, she got very interested in learning in uh, theoretical computer science. She, because she, she had, you know, it allowed her to use her math skills. So she decided to go back to school, forget this whole sociology deal. She went back, uh, back to Berkeley in 1984. And by 1987, she'd received a master of science in, in a master, an MS in computer science. And in 1989, she got a PhD. And, and one of the professors there, Dr. Van Jacobson, convinced her to study network congestion. See, this was back, uh, you know, back in the, um, you know, in the, in, in, in the, in the mid 80s, uh, you know, the, the internet had congestion control issues. The, the protocols had not been fully developed and there were issues and they were, they were trying to theoretically analyze the, uh, pack, packet switching networks to see how they could handle load control and queuing theory. So she got involved with that very theoretical. She joined the network research group at Lawrence Berkeley National Lab in 1990. Now, Floyd is best known in the field of congestion control and as the inventor of the random early detection, RED, R-E-D, active queue management system. It's thus, she founded the field of active queue, man- active queue management with her mentor, Dr. Van Jacobson. Now, at this moment, I'm going to take a small aside. Please do. Because I know that people are waiting with... Baited breath, breath to know about rapid early detection for Internet routing. Mm-hmm. I know people, because I know there are cocktail parties tonight people have got to go to. And they need to know. No, you need to clear the room, then you get the entire buffet. Exactly. So you bring up rapid active early detection of Internet routing, and you'll clear and the room. And it's all yours. And the, and the buffet is all yours. Okay, random early detection or RED, it's an algorithm widely used on the Internet. Though not readily visible to Internet users, it helps traffic on the network flow smoothly during periods of overload. Now, the Internet consists of a series of linked routers. And when computers communicate with one another through the Internet, they divide the information that they intend to exchange into packets of data. And these are sent in sequence. And routers will route these packets independently throughout the network. And it will eventually route it to the final destination, and then the final software layer just reassembles the the packets into into the message. Now, when a router receives more packets than they can handle, than they can handle immediately, they they put them in a queue. I mean, that's the British word for a line. A line, right? Yeah, the queue. They put them in a queue, and it, then they're held in a holding area called a buffer which can increase the delay in transmitting data because they're, you know, they they have to wait around before they can be routed. Now, if the router continually receives traffic 
at too, at too high of a at a higher rate than it can forward, at some point it just starts throwing out the incoming messages. Now, well into the 1980s, the internet experienced periods of huge degradation in performance, known as congestion collapse. Now, what would happen would be a router would be would would actually become overloaded, and it would start sending messages: can't handle it, can't handle it, can't handle it. And pretty soon, the entire internet's capacity was handled by error messages that they couldn't handle it, and nothing got through. So Dr. Floyd's random early detection was an enhancement of the work done in the 1980s by Van Jacobson, Dr. Van Jacobson, her mentor. <clears throat> and this was a, a scheme that actually worked out pretty well. Before the router's buffer would be filled, it, and it could tell that it was getting too many packets, it would send out, it would discard a packet before it was totally swamped, and it would say, I've got kind of a big, big backlog here. Would you just send packets in another direction? And it sends that back to the previous router. Then the router modifies the routing table and routes it to another router. And so before it becomes totally swamped, it warns the other routers that it's getting too much traffic, mm-hmm. and it uh, and it backs down. And that was called active queue management. This meant that discarding an occasional data packet earlier could keep routers from getting completely clogged so that you don't have the congestion collapse. Okay, that's the aside on random early detection, okay. and this was a dramatic improvement in the performance of the internet. Bring dramatic it up at a cocktail party near you tonight. That's right. That's you know, I love to go to cocktail parties, and I just I've always got stories you to got tell. You got food for the whole week. Just I load do. your pockets, and you're good. I do. Okay, I certainly do. Now, her claim to fame was she was very good at at, at doing mathematical simulations. So. To, to actually manage this um, active queue management, she had to simulate it, simulate its performance. And she worked on the simulations, and these simulations became the bedrock upon which all future con- congestion control uh, research was based. In fact, this paper on, on um, early detection, on uh, random early detection, which included simulations, was one of the most popular papers that was published in the uh, computer science literature. This 1993 paper has has been referenced in 9,100 articles since mm. then. It is one of the most highly cited articles on in the computer science area. Now, she also devised another method to add jitter to the message timers. You see, if, if all the delays are, are sent with the same delay, you could have... Them all being synchronized, you'd have these big pulses and surges of like synchronized packets going out there. So she would add random jitter, so you wouldn't have these these pulses due to in, in traffic caused by synchronization. Now she's co-author of papers on the standards for TCP selective acknowledgement for explicit congestion notification, datagram congestion control, and TCP-friendly rate control. All these things are related to congestion. Now, one byproduct of Dr. Floyd's work was her passion for keeping things fair. She wanted people who had both a fast Internet connection and a slow Internet connection to always have equal access to the network. So she wanted it to be available for everyone. Now, she, you know, I read all of the... um, um, comments about her she she died recently and i was reading comments that uh, people uh, you know t- you know you know thinking back on her life and she was actually a very a very kind woman who um who whenever there were like these spirited debates she would always uh, 
be quite restrained, and she would make her case, you know, you know, without emotion, and she would let other people get the credit. She wasn't trying to get in the credit for things, but she was also known to help budding young students. Whenever she'd go to a conference, you'd see her at the conference sitting, sitting on a side table talking to a graduate student about their research, and she was a mentor to many, many, many graduate students. She was, uh, she was quite, uh, quite well-liked in the field, and she... Um, really contributed as a member of the team to make the Internet better. She received the IEEE Internet Award in 2005, as well as the ACM SIGCOM Award in 2007 for her contributions to congestion control. She was involved in the Internet Architecture Board, and they they basically do the underlying standards for the Internet. And uh, and she, um, you know, contributed Internet standards throughout her entire career. Now, Dr. Floyd met Ms. Lita, a reference librarian, in 1983. They married in 2013, soon after the U.S. Supreme Court cleared the way for same-sex marriages. Now, she had retired, but this was in her retirement. She retired in 2009. Mm-hmm. Now, she died at the age six, at age 69, August 25, 2019, in Berkeley, California, of gallbladder cancer. So she died. Died quite young, yeah. but she had really a fantastic life, and I really do appreciate uh, Susan's suggestion that we profile her. She was she's one of the many women who's contributed to the internet and to computer science over the years, even when it was difficult for women to enter the field. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Sally Jean Floyd, the woman who was best known for her work in internet congestion control. There you go. Hope you're paying attention because your chance to win a free lunch based on your knowledge gathered by listening to the show is coming right up in the pop quiz. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope device to you, Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Why? 
live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please sit down. I know you're excited about We don't want no congestion in the studio. Only congestion on the Internet is allowed this morning. They're stopping on the dance floor, and I think they're standing because they're cold. This is not simply a radio show. This is a classroom of the airways, and we have to assess whether our listeners are, in fact, listening and learning. Correct. And we do that with a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A-plus for today's class, as well as tickets to fine dining at one of the Stratford University dining rooms. Earlier in the show, I talked about Sally Jean Floyd, best known for her work on Internet congestion control. What is the name of the algorithm that she developed with Dr. Jacobson for Internet control? Either goes the acronym or the actual name. If you know the answer to today's question, do not tarry. Pick up your device and give us a call. If you're dialing from west to the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're trying to find a BART station in Canada, call us on a wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the lousy and downright undependable international line, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Well, thank you very much. Uh, let's <laughs> ta- let's talk about uh, Apple and yes. how serious they are about privacy. You see, Apple makes its money by selling hardware, not by selling your private data, like Facebook or Google or Instagram. They make their money selling your data. Apple tries to protect your data, and they're very serious about the privacy of your data. And they have an entire ecosystem called the private. Federated learning, private federated learning. The idea is simple. It's not. It's not. It's. It's to not only obscure and scramble the user's personal and private information to hide it from apps and services on the internet, but also to learn and analyze the user data locally and on your own device without sending it to some cloud processor. Mm-hmm. Now, the way that Apple deploys this is that all the processing happens on your iPhone with no data ever being uploaded to a server or shared with Apple or any other app developer. For instance, the Hey Siri personalization and the artificial intelligence features in the photo apps are two examples. Apple's neural engine in the A13 chip performs 100 billion operations per photo to recognize faces and places without ever leaving your device. Apple says that every single message that you send with iMessage to another iMessage is encrypted end-to-end. And whatever contextual suggestions that iMessage offers during the conversation, like spelling, those are all generated within the device itself. In addition, the Safari web browser has something known as intelligent tracking protection. It works by separating third-party content used to track you from other browsing data, this throws off all ad tracking software. The AI machine, AI and machine learning work on the device itself. All that's processing within your iPhone itself and not shared with any third party services. 
Apple did make a significant change in the iOS 13 in regards to how the app gets ac- how apps get access to location data and Bluetooth data. As a user, you now have the power to choose between giving them access anytime or only when the app is in operation or never. And so what happened is as soon as you installed iOS 13, you started getting all these notifications. Should this app have this data? Should this app have this data? And they forced the apps to request permission to use the data. That's be- And Apple did that because many of these apps have misused their access to the data, and they want data that they don't actually need to perform actions on the app, but they want to get that extra data so they can sell it and monetize it. And Apple is trying to stop that. In addition, Apple did something else that's pretty nice. They, they have what they call sign-in with Apple. Have you ever noticed you'll go to a website, it'll say sign-in with Facebook or sign-in yeah. with Google. Mm-hmm. Well, if you do that, all the data in that app is shared with Facebook and Didn't Google. Know that. Yeah. They, they grab all your data. You're giving them access to all of your data, which they sell. What Apple does, if you sign in with Apple, they don't share it with anybody. So they had, they set up this sign up with Apple system to protect, you know, people don't like to create a new username and password, but if you sign up for Apple, your data is protected. I never sign in with Google or Facebook credentials because all your data is shared and you don't know what they're and doing with it. I won't do it now, but it's probably too late because I've signed in on everything with. Well, you can, well, you can just, you can, you can cancel that link, mm-hmm. and they won't get any further data, and then you can just create a new account. Okay. But now, uh, on the if you're on your iPhone, every app has is required to have the choice sign in with Apple on it. So you can you can go back and do that. So Apple is very serious about privacy. We do not have a winner yet, so why don't you please ask the question? Earlier in the show, we were talking about Sally Floyd. She, of course, worked on Internet congestion control, and she, along with Dr. Jacobson, developed an algorithm that has been used in all routers on the Internet. And the, the paper which described that has been referenced 9,100 times. It has an acronym, or it also has a name. What is the name of that algorithm that is on every router for congestion control on the Internet? If you know the answer, you need to call us right now. 877-936-9333. Putting him to work today. Now, Google Chrome has a zero-day vulnerability. Now, that means a zero-day vulnerability means it's a vulnerability that has not been patched. And uh, and this is what it does. Security researchers at Kaspersky have discovered a zero-day vulnerability that leaves Chrome us- users open to a malicious attack that could let hackers take full control of your computer and to download malware to your computer. Worst of all, the exploit is in the wild. has been used, actually, before in anybody knew about it. Millions could be at risk. Now, it's called Operation Wizard Opium. Operation Wizard Opium. I like the name. The flaw was first injected into a Korean news website. When people visited the site, a script from a third-party site would load and see whether the machine was worth attacking. The attackers designed code to only attack Windows machines running versions of six, Chrome version 65 or newer. I think Chrome is up to, like, version 72 or 73 now. Zero-day exploits are the, are the most concerning flaws of, 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 of that you can find in software. That means that the security problem is in the wild and the software maker has not yet released a fix. Now, the good news is Kaspersky notified Google of this thing and they have already released a patch. Now, I went into uh, this morning, 
I went and I opened I, I wanted to see whether my Chrome browser had been patched. So I opened up my Chrome browser, and there are, and when you open up your Chrome browser, there are three dots in the upper right-hand corner. You click on those three dots. It's sort of like the, like the settings symbol, three dots in vertical. You click on that, and then you, you go there, on that menu, you click on Help, and then you click on About Google Chrome, and that will bring up a page that checks for updates. So it's check for updates. Sure enough, my Chrome browser needed an update. I just hit the update button. Within two minutes, my Chrome browser was updated. So the browser was not automatically updated by Microsoft Windows. So I'm glad that I went and updated my Chrome browser because, you know, I don't use Microsoft Internet Explorer anymore. I, I like Chrome, so I mm-hmm. use Chrome yeah. a lot. I'm, I'm with you. But I'm thinking uh, on, on my iPhone, I use Safari. But I'm thinking after looking at all this privacy stuff, I might use Safari. I've got Safari on my on my Windows machine. I might I might go back and start using Safari. Huh. I like all that privacy that, that that Apple has built into their system. There you go. All right. Guess what? We have somebody Whoa, okay. on the phone who would like to play our contest. Let's go to line numero uno, and this is Lewis, who is calling us from Rockville. Lewis, good morning, sir. How are you? Hello, good Lewis. How are you? I'm yeah. doing well. Doctor Shirts, ask the question, please. Yeah, we got a. Uh, Profile IT, we featured Sally Floyd. She developed an, a congestion control algorithm. What is the name of that algorithm? Random early detection. That, that is, is correct. correct. Woo! Hang on a second, Lewis. We're going to send you back to Master Control and Mike, who's in for Andrew, and he's going to take your information and we'll get that prize right out to you. It is Saturday morning. You are listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 105, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. See you in a minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Chinese hardware has been sold to the U.S. military in a supply chain corruption scandal. In August 2018, an Air Force service member noticed something strange about the body camera being used by security personnel at an Air Force base. Had Chinese writing on the back of it? Chinese characters were showing up on the screen. Nice. A subsequent investigation found numerous indications that the camera, 
and two dozen dozen others in the same shipment had been made in China. Investigators found these telling logos in the camera's firmware, an Air Force logo, a logo of a Chinese company that made the camera, and the logo of China's Ministry of Public Security. Whoa. Forensic analysis indicated that these three images had been loaded on the camera at the same time by someone in the Chinese time zone. This suggested not that not only was the camera made in China, but that the Chinese knew that the body camera would be shipped to an Air Force facility. Now, how did a Chinese-made digital camera wind up at a Uf- Air Force base? In a criminal complaint unsealed Thursday, federal prosecutors blamed Adventura, a New York-based company that's been fraudulently reselling Chinese-made gear for more than a decade. On Thursday, six of the company's founders and their senior officials were arrested and charged with fraud and other crimes. Since 2006, the feds say, Adventura has been buying Chinese-made cameras, metal detectors, and other products, slapping a Made in America logo on them, and reselling the United States to customers, including U.S. government agencies, who are legally prohibited from buying such items. That, I'm glad they discovered that, but this supply chain corruption is a huge problem. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio. We're here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. You know, I've been traveling around the world doing faculty development. You have, I, was, I, I was just I was just back from India doing it there. I've been in Kurdistan doing it. I've been in Pakistan doing it. And I'm going to talk about part of the dilemma that we have in education. And I'm going to reference a book, 1999 book, The Age of the Spiritual Machine by Ray Kurzweil. He proposed the law of accelerating returns, which he demonstrated through a lot of data that we are changing at an exponentially fast rate and that going forward, things are going to change so rapidly, it's going to be very hard to keep up with it. And whenever technology approaches any kind of barrier, according to Kurzweil, it actually creates a new technology that allows us to cross the barrier and continue the exponential rate. 
He predicts that such paradigm shifts will have continued impact on the world, leading to technological change so rapid and so profound that it will rupture the fabric of human history. We can't really keep up with it. So what does an educator do? What skills do you give students that are going to last a lifetime, that are going to last, you know, throughout their entire career? Because the hard skills that you teach them are going to be obsolete in a few years. So what, what specifically should education try to achieve in order to make certain that students will be productive their entire life? And this is, this is sort of the heart of, of what I was doing in my faculty development. There were five things that we try to give our students that will last a lifetime. Now, the first one is a growth mindset. Now, somebody with a growth mindset, they believe that if they're given a challenging task that they're not really sure they could do, that even if they succeed or fail as they push the envelope, they will grow from that, they will learn from that, and they will be more intelligent and better prepared for the future by having taken that task on. So it's not whether you win or lose. It's what do you learn from the process. Mm-hmm. Somebody with a growth mindset is willing to take that difficult task because they don't fear failure, because they just want to keep growing. Somebody with a growth mindset is going to succeed in their life no matter what they're hit with. Now, the only way to get a growth mindset in education is to work on projects, challenging projects. And then over time you say, wow, look what I did. And then you believe that you can do more and more and more. The second thing that students will have to have is the ability to think through a problem that they have never seen before. There's a structured way of thinking when you encounter a problem and you, 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 there's no book about it. You've never read anything about it. You've never taken a class. Nothing is on it. You've just got to think it through. And there is a structured way of approaching a problem you've never encountered before. Now, if you're in science, it's called the scientific method. You know, what is the purpose of the thinking? What is the problem at hand? What data do I need? What model am I going to use? What is my conclusion? What are the implications? Am I looking at this from all perspectives? Do I have breadth? So there are eight elements of critical thinking, and students must have the ability to internalize these critical thinking processes so they can solve problems they've never seen before. They'll use that skill their entire lifetime. And then, of course, we all know you need communication skills, verbal and written. That's key because you've got to work in teams. Now, something that I learned from India, uh, because we've got a campus in New Delhi, I've really focused on this mindfulness. Because in India, you know, we teach, we've embedded mindfulness in our curriculum there. We brought it back to the U.S. And there's something interesting if somebody is a mindful leader. If you're able to be mindful of your own emotions, if you can be mindful of your own breathing, if you are in the present moment, it, there's something magic that happens. You can now begin to feel communication channels from others, and you can begin to feel what your team needs to be complete. And so one person might need something, and you give them that. Another person needs something else, you give them that. And through mindfulness, you are aware of what your team needs, and you give it to them. And a mindful leader also has the humility to step back when the team succeeds to give the team all the credit. Now, Tom Collins in the book Good to Great calls that a level five leader. And a lot of schools teach, okay, leadership theory where you can name all the types of leaders in a multiple choice test. But actually you have to internalize it. You have to become mindful yourself. And you become a mindful leader by starting from within and going out. And so being a mindful leader lasts you a lifetime. The last thing that, that we try to teach our students, we do, we started this in India and now we're doing it in the U.S., is happiness. Mm-hmm. Schools don't teach 
happiness and um, what it takes to be happy. So in the U.S., we've got this problem that people are chasing money. And no matter how much money you earn, somebody else earns more. No matter how big of a house you have, somebody has a bigger house. Yes. No matter how big your office is, somebody has a bigger office. So if you define yourselves by what you possess, or in the case of students, no matter how high your GPA or your ranking, somebody else is ranked higher than you. If you define yourselves externally, you'll never be happy. The only way to truly be happy is to give. It's not how much you have, it's whether you're happy with what you do have. And so if you understand happiness, you'll set proper goals in your life. So if somebody has a growth mindset, has the ability to solve problems they've never seen before, has good communication skills, is a mindful leader, and knows how to set proper goals because they understand what true happiness is, I contend that they will be happy their entire lifetime, no matter what change occurs going in the future. So we've been trying to embed this in our programs, both international as well as in the U.S., and I think more educational institutions have to do that. It's really important. That's an interesting way of looking at it because really, as you said, just teaching people how to do X, Y, or Z doesn't work because in two or three years, it's all different again. It's all different. And, and if you think back on your schooling, it, it was uh, the things that you learned in class or studied for tests almost irrelevant 20 years out. But what did stick with you is the way that you approach problems, the way you solve, the way you interact. These soft right. skills have long-term value. Mm-hmm. So we try to do more and more work on the soft skills. Now, next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this further discussion on education and talk about how we can engage the human being who is natively born as a human learning engine uh-huh. and how we can do that. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. And go to the Stratford University website, check out the programs, and tell them what you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.